My name is Stephen Gill, um, and I'm a photographer. This is my studio, and as you can see, I'm kind of drowning in photographs. I think I just kind of ended up in Hackney when I moved to London in 1993 from Bristol. Arriving here, as a young photographer, is already very passionate about making photographs. And like many photographers, at that time I was kind of turning my back on London, which is quite a bizarre thing in a way, because you're in a new place, which is visually very stimulating. But as much as I had a very strong desire to make pictures here, I found it really hard to aesthetically and engage and get my teeth into Hackney. <laughs> And it wasn't until much later, 2001, where I guess I was starting to embrace what I originally in the early 90s was running away from, and that was this kind of visual chaos of London and kind of embracing visual noise and searching less for quiet, coherent, easy-to-read images. Then I guess I stumbled across Hackney Wick literally when I was photographing the back of advertising billboards. For the first time really a place absolutely carried me and suddenly a photographic body of work was starting to be made which where the parameters were geographical. I love the way that photography has this great ability of kind of turning things inside out or making statements about the things we do. Also photography's great ability of conveying feeling as well as being so good at describing things. So Hackney initially started with the billboards and then that led to the Hackney Wick series which is aesthetically a lot noisier in some ways but the pictures are quite milky and quite sort of cloudy because the camera I used was a plastic camera that I bought at the market which existed during that time and that was very liberating for me not just to kind of really let go and explore an area thoroughly which I became very quickly passionate about but also it was quite nice to kind of let go of technique and in the late 90s and early 2000s photography became so obsessed about technique and conversations around photography were often about megapixels and DPI and so it was so nice to shake off that and start from zero in a way and put the content at the forefront and technique second. One of the books we've got here in front of us is your um, Hackney Flowers project. Now, yeah. flowers isn't something that particularly comes to mind when you think of the borough of Hackney. Mm. Why did you decide on this as a theme? One of the reasons that originally attracted me to the area was, you know, like London and 
like our lives as well in many ways, so full of contradictions. And Hackney Wick is, on one hand, so chaotic, very dusty, quite intense place. But the flip side of that, literally side by side, were the beautiful canals, the meadows, the allotments that existed. So it was these contradictions constantly pulling. So whilst making the pictures of the market and the surrounding areas, I was also collecting flowers and seeds and objects and pressing and drying them here in my studio and laying these objects on top of photographs and then re-photographing them. And I think for me it was a kind of like celebration of nature in cities. There's also a little parallel body of work running throughout the book which uh, shows members of the public either wearing or carrying tiny floral details, almost like this sim- even symbols of nature in a city is a balancing thing. And, and also, for the first time, I, to make a series of pictures like this, which aren't describing what a place looks like, but for me it was attempting to suggest a feeling of a place rather than a description of a place. It's literally extracting noise and chaos but making it into something quite maybe sometimes quite beautiful let's move on now to a series of disappointments a series of disappointments is a book consisting of black and white photographs of betting slips and they were all picked up off the floor just go around hackney betting shops with a rucksack and pick them off the floor and come back to my studio after about six, eight weeks of doing this and choose slips that I picked up the floor that hadn't I hadn't touched and choose them purely for aesthetic reasons, photograph them in quite a cold, descriptive way with no colour and then after they were photographed, um, gently open them to reveal the bets that were placed and later to lose. I do feel they're kind of like people as portraits, just because you can feel that. It's like when we doodle or when you're sitting in a pub with a bottle of beer picking the label off, all these kind of tiny little um, details that we leave behind. Often there's maybe fragments of state of mind these pieces of paper, even though they're some of them are tiny, do translate and hold on to that bit of human emotion. I normally do a, mid, a midweek football bet and weekend bet, twice, twice a week. I will come here and look at cricket, football and things like that. Football is very exciting, especially Man City, you know. Liverpool, they look promising as well, but I think Chelsea's going to win this year's Premiership, so you can have some money on that. Just follow what the sun says. When the sun is round, I'm round, so I lose. Every day I'm here, because I'm a pensioner, I have nothing more to do. This is excitement, really, thinking one number is going to come again, like, have I really predicted right? It's the buzz, you know, if you want the buzz, you come, you gamble. Keep repeating the numbers every week, every week, every week. One day it might be your luck. Ten pound is my limit. Three pound I spend. Not spending on one three pound. Spent twenty pound earlier. It would have been forty pound, and I got one hundred and eighteen. I won. I won two thousand pound with with ten pound. 
It didn't go. Yeah, two grand. Yeah, two grand. And I've lost more than that. I had a few quid in my pocket. I went and put it in. And I lost it, 25 quid. Then I thought, no, this mission is going to give me because I know what to do. I ended up, you know, going to the cash point five times, 500 pounds. I took out within half an hour, lost 525 quid. I lost a few times, you know. That's that's what it's about, isn't it? Winning, winning and losing. Yeah, you never break even. Yeah, it was it was in the in the sand. I'm doing three teams to, for tonight: Man United, Man City, and Rangers. And I'm doing a horse. So I I pick that one, the right Baltimore job. That's what I'll do. Mm. I think I've got a good chance. Hello, my name's Jules Pipe. I'm the Mayor of Hackney. The borough has around 60-odd betting shops. That's probably about three times the number that a, a typical borough like Hackney uh, would have. So just that raw number indicates that there's there's something not quite right. What was a particular worry is the concentration of the betting shops in particular locations. Here in Mayor Street outside the town hall, there's actually eight betting shops in just that one street. Uh, on a practical level, as the council, what are you going to do? Well, unfortunately, there are problems that prevent uh, councils intervening to the degree that they would wish. In licensing terms, it's very hard for a council to meet the tests required to, to prove that a betting shop would create harm in the community, harm young people, harm vulnerable people, increase crime in the area. I mean, what the council wants to do about it is get the law changed, and we're using the Sustainable Communities Act to approach the government to, to try and get those powers. I, I mean, a simple thing would be putting betting shops in a, a use class of their own. Instead of lumping them in with uh, banks and building societies and insurance agents, to actually give them their own use class, which would require them to apply for planning permission to convert a shop uh, to that use. In a nutshell, we think that local people should be able to decide what's on their high street. So, Blake Pudding from London Review Breakfast has brought me to a secret part of Hackney today for our breakfast review. Mr Pudding, uh, why, why have we come to a secret place? Why aren't you just taking me to a normal breakfast joint? Well, this place has been recommended to me. It's called the, the Brunchen Club, and apparently they do the best brunch, not only in Hackney, but in London. And it's part of an explosion of underground dining, where people open up their houses in secret locations for, hopefully, delicious food. Now, these veer between Michelin-starred cooks cooking 75-pound menu degustation, is that, the, is that the word? Or brunch in someone's house, which is what we're having this morning. OK, let's go in. Warning, you are trespassing on private property. These premises are being monitored by Olympus Security. We're now in a rather beautiful walled garden. There's vines climbing up the, up the walls. There are balloons. There's a small table. There's people sitting around the table drinking Bloody Marys. Some of them look a bit hungover. So um, so this is Greg who's running uh, the secret breakfast today. What's on the menu, Greg? Uh, well, when guests come in, they get a uh, Bloody Mary to um, perk them up a little bit. And then we start off with uh, just some sim simple berries. Uh, make yourself feel a little bit better with some fruit. 
Uh, and then we get to the pièce de résistance, which is our eggs royale. So um, that's with duck eggs, poached duck eggs and duck egg hollandaise. And we smoke salmon on a lovely buttered muffin. Um, and then when you've recovered from that butter hit, we hit you with a bit more um, with a croissant and uh, some raspberry jam. And you can have tea or coffee, um, as, as is your whim. Um, and just relax, basically. That's on the menu too. Sounds lovely. We're looking forward to it. Always oh, sounds great, yeah. So first course, Mr Pudding. It's really pretty good, yeah. yeah strawberries, blueberries, black currants, just in a little... I think, I think they're in some sort of syrup, I'm not sure, but they're absolutely delicious, much healthier than I normally have for breakfast. But I think later there's unhealthy stuff coming up, which I'm looking forward to. I, I feel like I'd be, I'd be very unqualified to review a dim sum place, even though... I feel like I, you know, I like good dim sum, but I would, you know, perhaps not know exactly what it was meant to, to be like. I don't think you know more than There you go. Thank you. I think we'll dig in. This looks wonderful. So, Blake, tell me what we've got here. We have, I think it's called eggs. Is it eggs royale when it's with smoked salmon, poached duck egg, and then hollandaise also made from duck eggs. So I think it's going to be very rich, all on top of a muffin. And we have two eggs. Um, and it looks... And there's little flecks of black pepper in. Unless it's vanilla, but it's very unlikely to be vanilla. So black pepper. Um, I'm, I'm going to eat it because I'm absolutely sorry. Oh, eggs runny, that's very important. There's nothing more disappointing than an overcooked poached egg. I worried with them um, duck eggs that it would be too rich having duck eggs and then hollandaise made from duck eggs. But actually, it's delicious. It's really not overpowering at all. So we've finished our eggs royale and uh, Greg and Meyer have joined us who've been cooking for us today. So how long have you two been doing this for? We've only been doing it for about, since sort of early summer, I think. Only yeah, about June. three, four months, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And how's it going? Uh, really well. It's, really it's well. incredibly fun. Yeah, um, it's brilliant. Still for us. It's, I think the nice thing is just having interesting people come around your house and just getting to chat to them and meet them. Because that's the best bit when we come out at the end after we've finished cooking and then just get to talk to people. Do you always cook the same thing? Well, we've kept the menu the same so far, but we're pretty keen to change. I think I'm sick of seeing eggs royale every every Sunday so yeah we've had a few thoughts about new menus. Blake what would you like to see on the menu? What I, think, I think you should do kedgeri, kedgeri is my oh, absolute yes. favourite thing Actually, yeah I've got another friend who says she won't come unless we do a, um, a kedgeri kedgeri <laughs> you can make um, you can make in advance as well so you can actually spend more time getting to know the residents yeah. of Hackney yeah. and less time slaving and doing balletic movements in the kitchen yeah. But, yeah. but you probably enjoy the, anyway. the kitchen <laughs> movements. One of our friends also has uh, suggested that we do like breakfast and bed service in like all the rooms in our house but I think that's taking it a bit too far. Yeah. <laughs> then after you've served breakfast you could kind of crawl in and stuff and just sort of say yeah. how did it go you know let's get to know each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It all gets a bit grey with suggested donations and things. You know, yeah. what, 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 what are people paying for? <laughs> Blake, we've emerged from the uh, the rural idyll of their garden back onto the uh, the streets of Hackney. What did you think? Well, I mean, it, it took a lot longer than we thought it was going to. I feel like we've been in their house and garden for for hours, but the, it was worth it. The food was wonderful. Our hosts were charming, and all the other customers were lovely as well. We, it was actually a really sociable thing. Everyone talked about food. Everyone was very enthusiastic. There were lots of tips passed round on other underground restaurants. So. 
we're satisfied. The Hackney Podcast. Well, it's a lovely summer's evening here in Hackney Marshes. I've come out here to hear and see some bats and to meet a bat specialist with quite a few other people from Hackney who are interested in bats. I'll just wait here for the bat to come back because what it's actually doing is flying a beat and hoovering up the insects as it flies a beat. So it's going up and down its little bit of territory along the river and this is a very good place to watch it because we've got this bit of open um, ground where we can have a view through to the river. In Hackney, I think that they've been under-recorded. We need to keep the integrity of the tree lines along the River Lee, along the navigation. Also, we need to be thinking about light pollution along the navigation. The fact is they do have a moral uh, right to be here. And is Hackney Marsh is a particular hotspot for bats? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Because you've got Tidal River and you've got the Lee navigation and you've got the fantastic tree lines with native black poplar species. There's more uh, black poplars in Hackney than any other borough, I believe. And they're just superb for the amount of insects that are attracted to the canopy. And of course, you've got the river there. You've got all these insects rising, trapped within the canopy of the trees. It's perfect for bat foraging. Do you think there's any reason to be scared of bats? It's the unknown, isn't it? I mean, we do a lot of roost visits, we go into people's houses, they are quite scared about a bat that has fallen out of a roost. And then we can talk them round, show them the bat, show them the, the stretch the wings out, show them the, this complex creature. And people actually learn to love them and they ring us up and they say, oh, we've got uh, 10 young babies that have just flown out of the roost tonight and they count them out the roost and they've become completely enamoured of them. So Russell, why have you come on this bat walk here tonight? Do you have a particular interest in bats or what, what drew you to this? No, I used to have a fantasy as a kid. I wanted a bat as a pet. <laughs> but it's just lovely kind of just being out at night and the smells are lovely. And but it has, it's taken me a while to actually sort of engage with, you know, Hackney's a green space, I think. Alison, what is it you're just handing out? I'm handing out bat detectors. There's several different sorts. And they're all sensitive to different species. That's it. Some of them are called batons. There we are. That's switched on. The nocturnals echolocate round about 20 kilohertz, very low. It's just above our hearing. So keep your eyes peeled on the sky. If you see anything flying, let me know. sending out high-pitched sound. What the bat detection equipment is doing is picking up that sound and turning it into a frequency that we can hear. Bats are capable of making lots of different sounds. Their echolocation is how they navigate, but that's not how they talk to each other. <laughs> they, they make the social calls, maybe as a territorial uh, sound or 
uh, male showing a female his intention to want to mate. That will communicate probably happiness because I've often seen them do it after a feed. Bats will often drum and they use their forearm and they make a really rapid drumming noise. And I remember a couple of years ago having a, a rehabilitating a bat that used to drum when I arrived home. What made you decide to uh, go on to bat walk? Um, it was a friend of mine that saw it in the local paper and said, do you fancy it? Something different for a Friday night? Maybe beats going down the pub. <laughs> so I said, why not? So we brought the kids out and yeah, we've had a really good time. Girls, what do you think? Were you disappointed? Pleasantly surprised? No, I was, I was actually having a great time because um, I was picking up most of the signals. <laughs> what sort of signals did you hear? Weird ones. <laughs> um, yeah, sort of like the clicking noises and eek sounds. I heard like um, hammering sounds. I liked um, the um, little equipment we were using. Did you see the bats at all? Yeah, I liked seeing the bats. That was my favourite part. Some people find bats a bit scary. What do you think? Ah, uh, no, I think they're harmless. They look, they're sort of icky looking. Don't like the look. Like the sound stuff. The Hackney Podcast.